welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. Today is Wednesday, February 14th, which is observed as Ash Wednesday in the Christian Church this year. Today we begin the season of Lent, a time of preparation and penitence prior to Holy Week and Easter. During this season, we focus on our need to repent of our sins and on our need to trust in the Savior, who has suffered, died, and risen for us. Each Wednesday during Lent here on Sharper Iron, we are going to be taking a look at one of the hymns of faith that help us with that Lenten task. Today, we are studying Martin Luther's hymn, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee, which is appointed as the hymn of the day for Ash Wednesday. It is hymn number 607 in Lutheran service book. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we use this hymn to study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, the Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Great to be here. Pastor Preuss, you're also the chair of the Board of Regents for Luther Classical College. You've talked to us about that in the past. Tell us how things are going in, in that progress. Things are going great. Bringing on uh, all the staff that we need to bring on uh, students in 2025. We're opening registration, actually, for students. Even though it's a year and a half early, we're opening up registration for those students who are taking a year break between high school and, and college and still want to come to Luther Classical College. So we'll be registering and admitting our, our, uh, our first students uh, here in uh, March, uh, April, uh, uh, and, and May. So very exciting. Our president's coming on uh, full-time April 15th. That's Reverend Dr. Harold Ristow, who's uh, just an amazing confessional Lutheran uh, man, very experienced uh, in academia, but also uh, a, a, a faithful pastor, chaplain, been on the front lines in Afghanistan. He's just, he's just a hero. Awesome. So we're really excited for all of our staff, all of our faculty, um, and, and the students coming in uh, soon, 2025. God be praised for that faithful work that is being done there to start Luther Classical College in Casper, Wyoming. So, Pastor Price, you and I get to talk about Luther's hymn, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee, which is not in the Lenten section of Lutheran service book, but it fits very well, especially on Ash Wednesday. Before we look at this hymn a little more particularly, talk to us a little bit about Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent in general. I think for many Christians, when they think of Lent, they think about giving something up. So sure. broaden our perspectives a little bit more as to why Lent is, is helpful for Christians. Yeah. Ash, uh, Ash Wednesday starts a 40-day uh, season of Lent. It's actually about 46 days, but the Sundays don't count. Uh, so if you are fasting, um, actually the Sundays are feast days, and uh, technically you can uh, and are encouraged to uh, not fast on those days. If you're giving up alcohol, um, you can have a glass of wine or a beer on Sunday. Um even during Lent, um, or you can, you know, if you're giving up TV, you could watch uh, watch an episode of your favorite show on Sunday. Uh, but the 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 idea of having 40 days of Lent uh, is both sort sort of a natural thing. I mean, Lent comes from the um, from the German or old English word for uh, uh, lengthen or spring, right? Because the days are lengthening during this time, 
And uh, if you think about it, this is the time when there is the least amount of food for people. You're kind of running out of your your storehouse. And so uh, a, a natural fasting sort of sort of happened during this time. But also, as we uh, get into the time of the church year where we're uh, approaching, uh, contemplating the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and what uh, the, the toll that our sins uh, put on our creator, right, that he had to uh, not only become a man for us, but to, to suffer and die for us. Uh, it is a good time for us to um, especially be sober um, in our thinking and uh, um, giving something up is great, but also uh, adding things is even better um, uh, to be more devoted to prayer, uh, to God and, uh, and, and reading his word and doing things like singing hymns, memorizing hymns and studying hymns like we are today. So the Lenten time is preparation for this great joyous time of Easter, and it's uh, it's, it's it's a penitential season where we're we're um, acknowledging our sin, but also it is uh, there, there's never you know the joy is never just left out uh, of of the Christian life. It is in anticipation of the uh, celebration of, uh, of of Easter. Yeah, that that's that's really important to keep in mind when it comes to the season of Lent. Especially as we think about the hymns of Lent, I, I once said that Lenten hymns are my favorite hymns, and I got a couple of strange looks from some others. But I, I think I really think we do the Lenten hymns well, especially as Lutherans. So, Pastor Price, what is your favorite Lenten hymn? If you had to pick one, yeah, that's hard. That's like asking me uh, who my favorite kid is. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> there. Uh, there's just so many good ones. I would say, "Oh, Sacred Head, Not Wounded," uh, has to be up there. Uh, beautiful um, expression of the Christian soul and thanksgiving to, to Jesus for all he has done. That's, that's especially for Holy Week. And the same thing with um, a lamb goes uncomplaining forth. Um, uh, again, uh, Paul Gerhardt him, and he just does a wonderful job of showing how much our Lord Jesus loves us in, um, in going willingly to the cross uh, to lay down his life for us. For sure. Yep. Two two really solid choices. As we have today, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee, which again is not in the Lenten section. In, in Lutheran service book, it's labeled as a hymn of confession and absolution. But as we take a look at it, I think we'll see why it fits very well on Ash Wednesday particularly, and really in the season of Lent. So talk to us a little bit more specifically about this hymn, Pastor Preuss. What kind of background should we know about what's going on here as, as Luther writes this one for us? Yeah, so Martin Luther wrote this hymn in 1523. It was published in 1524 in uh, really the, the first Lutheran hymnal. Um, the I think it's called the Oxleder uh, book. So it's an eight-hymn book. Uh, so you've got uh, eight hymns included in there. Four of them were by Martin Luther. Uh, then I think a, a few were by uh, Paul Sparatus, who wrote um, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. Yeah. And uh, this is one of them. And uh, he wrote it um, as a paraphrase of... Um, de profundis, uh, so uh, out of the depths, it's, it's, uh, it's Psalm 130. So Psalm 130 would have been sung in Latin, right, and chanted in Latin, but of course the common people didn't know it, right? Um, and so they couldn't understand it. And if you, if you read Psalm 130, you cannot come to any other conclusion but that all people are sinners, and that all people very much rely on the grace of God. So Luther knew what he was doing here. He said, I'm going to take the psalm that especially teaches that we rely first and foremost on the forgiveness of sins, that is justification, which can only be received by faith. And I'm going to take that, that psalm and I'm going to put it into 
uh, a singable form and I'm going to get it all over Germany. And that's exactly what he did. So that uh, people were singing this hymn in the public squares. And some people were actually being threatened, right, by the Roman Catholics for singing it, uh, threatened with jail. Um, I'm not sure if it was this one or another one where they were singing it in the public square and someone actually was executed um, uh, because it was preaching so clearly uh, the Lutheran doctrine of grace alone. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the forgiveness of sins alone, and no one is righteous, no, not one. We rely on the forgiveness of sins and not on our works. Um, and what's, what's crazy about that, and, and also beautiful, is Luther, this is probably his least free rendition of a psalm. Mm. So you look at a mighty fortress is our God. That's Psalm 146. So that's Psalm 46. Well, it's not even close to what Psalm, what Psalm 46 like literally says. Uh, rather, he, he, he's very free with it. Whereas with this one, no, you can follow it line by line. He is going with the psalm. Uh, and what does the psalm teach? The psalm teaches justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's, that's the beauty of it. Well, and I think that makes it a very fitting hymn then to use on the first day of Lent on Ash Wednesday, because it it reminds us that Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent isn't just a, a time when we feel sorry for ourselves or sing hymns that maybe come in a minor key rather than a major key. But the season of Lent, like the rest of the church year, is one in which we give thanks to God for that doctrine of justification by grace through faith. It, it's all about that every season of the church year, Lent included. Yeah, amen. Yeah, we come to him as uh, not as proud Pharisees, but as uh, humble beggars, uh, and 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 know that he's 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 there uh, to, to to give us his grace. Right? He's not yeah. gonna he's not going to um, toss us aside. So Psalm one thirty is the primary scriptural background for this hymn, as you said. Luther throughout really does a, a fine job of of weaving the phrases from Psalm 130 into it, and, and often in the order in which they come. Are there any other particular texts that you notice that are probably in Luther's mind in, in this hymn? Yeah, the one that's very obvious, and actually LSB, if you go to the bottom of LSB on page six, six or, yeah, 607 in LSB, it'll it'll tell you, you know, Psalm 130, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 5, 20 to 21. And and the one that's very obvious is, is Romans 5, 20, uh, to 21, because uh, Luther says, though great are sins, yet greater still is God's abundant favor. And that is, um, that's basically a quote from Romans chapter 5, verse 20, which I'll read here. Uh, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Um, and so Luther works that in, and then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, just this beautiful um, truth that by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not of our own doing, it's not of works, as anyone should boast. Um, Luther is definitely thinking of that too. And in fact, um, there are versions of this hymn that only have four verses, and what Luther does is he expands uh, those um the first two verses to really, or is it the second and third verse, to really uh, stress this doctrine of grace, grace alone. Yeah. All right. So those are the, the scripture passages in mind. Since, as you said, Psalm 130 is so prominent in this hymn, I think I'm going to go ahead and read the whole of Psalm 130, 
and then jump into the first stanza of Luther's hymn, just so that we can have those words from Psalm 130 in our minds as we listen to the way Luther invites us to meditate upon them. So again, this is Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That is the text of Psalm 130. Now we turn to Luther's hymn, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee, 607 in Lutheran Service Book, stanza 1. Luther writes, From depths of woe I cry to thee, in trial and tribulation. Bend down thy gracious ear to me, Lord, hear my supplication. If thou rememberest every sin, who then could heaven ever win or stand before thy presence? That's stanza one, ending with that question that will get answered as stanza two comes next. So from depths of woe I cry to thee, in trial and tribulation, bend down thy gracious ear to me, Lord, hear my supplication. I noticed the, uh, on the one hand in the imagery, the depths, that that's where I am. And so God comes down in those depths. He bends down his, his gracious ear to listen to me, even in the depths. Uh, Pastor Preuss, take us into the imagery, the, what we're singing and confessing there in that first stanza. Yeah, so there's a beautiful marriage here of the doctrine and the tune, right? So from depths of woe I cry to you, and you drop down to the depths uh, when you sing it. From depths, right? So you're, uh, you're, you're echoing with your, with, with your voice, with, with the music, uh, also the, um, the feeling of your heart, right? Um, that we are, we are low because of our sin. And, and we can't get ourselves out of our predicament. And so we call to the one uh, who uh, has promised to call us out of this, who uh, the only one who can actually deal uh, with sin and all of its consequences, uh, death and the devil. The, 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 we're not just talking about grace alone here. We're also talking about faith alone because uh, out of the depths, I cry to thee, right? He knows who to cry to. You don't know who to cry to unless you have faith in him. No one, no, no one seeks after uh, this God and asks for forgiveness from him unless they know that he is there to actually offer it. And so much so, right, that we're willing to wait for it because we know it's going to come. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the faith that's evident in the cry, I think, is, is an important feature of this first couple of lines. And again, just that, that I'm down there in the depths, who else can I cry to but the Lord? He, he has to, and not that, and, and the other thing that stood out to me is, you know, I'm in the depths, how am I going to get out? Well, yeah. I don't trust in myself to get myself out, but rather I look to the Lord to, as, as the hymn says, bend down his ear and even come down to me in the depths, in the incarnation, he comes and joins himself to me. So you see, again, that grace and then the faith that expects God to be gracious in that way. Yeah, the, the picture of someone left in a pit Right, and he simply can't get out. Um, one of Charles Dickens' novels ends with that hard times. Guy's just in a pit; he can't get out. The only way he's going to get out is someone else helps him out. Right, and um, 
we all know this when it, we uh, recognize not only our sin, but also our death. Like, I'm not going to be able in the end to keep myself alive. There's only one person, right, that can, uh, or one entity, right, one, one person who can actually save me from this. And this is the realization that the Christian has, and, and it comes out uh, so beautifully here um, in, this, in this hymn, that we rely on Christ alone to come down from heaven uh, to the depths, right, to us uh, in our despair uh, and or in our sin and, and, and rescue us by taking it on himself. Hmm. Talk more about the, what the depths of woe are in the context of the hymn. It says, in trial and tribulation. So I, I hear those phrases, trial and tribulation, and I think maybe, oh, I'm having hard times, difficulties. But it seems like in the context of the hymn, and then especially in Psalm 130, that the reason I'm in the depths is because of, not just because of outside forces, but because of my own sin has actually brought me into these depths, and I need to be rescued from that. Yeah, absolutely. I the, the entire the entire hymn and and the psalm that it's based on makes it very clear that it is my transgressions, my iniquities that have gotten me into the mess I'm in. Um, and but that includes uh, my my difficulty dealing with all sorts of other trials and um, and temptations in life. Right? If if I were sinless, I could I could go through it with relative ease. Right, uh, I could I could bear people uh, slandering me as uh, Luther constantly was bearing at this time, and you're always gonna have a little bit of autobiographical um, content, right? In 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 a hymn of Luther's, and that's great, that's wonderful because he's a Christian man, but he's people um, are after his life, right? He, he's under the ban. Um, there's there's a price out for his head, right? He has trial and tribulation, um, but this uh, although it does not apply uh, to us, right? I, I, I mean, I hope none of your listeners have have a, uh, a price out on their head, but um, we we all do uh, realize that we're going to die, and we're going to die because of our own sin, right? And we have fears, and we have temptations all around us, um, and uh, all of these combine uh, in in whatever um, whatever is hitting us, right? Whether it's um, you know the unbelief of our family members, whether it's strife within the family. Um, whether it's sickness, whether it's death in the family, whether it's uh, a, a doubt of God's word and uh, intellectual, uh, you know, issues like dealing with whatever evolution or dinosaur bones or you know whatever it is, it's just um, bugging the Christian, right? His conscience. Um, all of these things, in the end, are a result of our sin. We don't know clearly, and we don't have the trust in God's word that we need, right? And so the only thing to, to, to do when all of these or any of these things confront us is, is, is to realize this is, this is a depth of woe. We have trial and tribulation here. The devil is attacking us, and, and, and God is testing us. And when that happens, we cry out to God uh, to come to us, and we know that he's going to come to us in his word. And that's, that's what Luther knows here, and what we especially need to know is that the Christian cries this out and, and tells God to help, calls on him to help. And we know he's going to help because we know he's going to come in his word uh, in order to forgive us our sins and to assure us of everlasting life. And that's the same word that will uh, raise our bodies uh, to everlasting life and that will guide our souls uh, to heaven. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's certainly a, 
there's a fifth petition prayer, forgive us our trespasses, and maybe that's the primary thrust of the hymn, but that seventh petition, deliverance from all evil, both the evil that is within me and the evil that attacks me from the outside, that's definitely a part of this hymn as well, and the season of, of Lent as a whole, that the Lord delivers me from my own sin and from the evil that attacks. And so I cry out to him from those depths, trusting that he does bend down his ear, which is a gracious ear, to us, you talked about the, the graciousness of his word, and we also have the graciousness of his ear that he listens to us poor sinners. That is a very gracious thing to have God's ear. and So he's, we've got his mouth and his ear both in this hymn. Yeah, um, he's, he's, he's our father, right? Uh, we're his children, and so he listens to us as a dear father, listens to his dear children, right? So, yeah. which is, of course, what we confess in, in the introduction to the, to the Lord's Prayer. Um, yeah, and I think, I think too, he wants to hear us is a, it is great comfort to Christians that God actually wants to hear, uh, our, our, our complaints. Uh, he knows what's going on in our lives, but he also wants us to, to tell him, um, and, and so to exercise uh, our faith in him. Now, as this first stanza ends, we come to a, a question, which is, is evident in Psalm 130, if, as the hymn goes, If thou rememberest every sin, who then could heaven ever win or stand before thy presence? And that's where stanza one ends. We will get to stanza two. Uh, we're left hanging here just a, a little bit, so we have to sing st- at least stanza two of this hymn. You can't just sing stanza one of this one on Ash Wednesday. So, Pastor Price, take us into that, that unanswered question for the moment there at the end of stanza one. Yeah, so the answer is obvious. No one can stand before you um, if you would mark every sin. And this is the question of the psalm. Oh, Lord, so let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for, for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? <coughs> Excuse me. And the, the answer is, is very obvious. No one could stand uh, before him because everyone uh, has sin. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Um, and it also uh, puts before us the, the obvious need that we need to stand before him. Everyone is going to stand before him on the last day. He's our creator, right? He created us to love perfectly uh, him and, and our neighbor, and we simply have not done it, and we are accountable to him. So we need to stand before him, and yet who can stand before him, Right? Um, if he marks iniquities. So the obvious conclusion is we better be approaching the God who does not mark iniquities, but rather forgives them uh, for Jesus' sake. Yeah. All right. So the, the second stanza is going to answer this question. Who, who is the one who stands in God's presence? Stanza two confesses this. Thy love and grace alone avail to blot out my transgression. The best and holiest deeds must fail to break sin's dread oppression. Before thee none can boasting stand, but all must fear thy strict demand and live alone by mercy. It stands a two of Luther's hymn, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. So, Pastor Price, I think within this stanza you have both the positive and negative answer to the question, who's going to stand in God's presence? On the one hand, those who trust in the love and grace of the Lord will stand. On the other hand, those who look to their best and holiest deeds and boast in those things 
will not. Uh, help us into some of the images, what's said here in stanza two. Yeah, so what's what's interesting too is that he doesn't mention uh, Jesus uh, uh, by name here. Uh, he does that because he's, he's paraphrasing uh, Psalm 130, um, but also because any uh, the, when you mention the grace and love of of the Lord of God, then what you are what you are doing is 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 also mentioning Jesus Christ, right? For for the Christian, because uh, the, the reason God is merciful to us is in Christ Jesus, because Christ Jesus takes on our sins, and the reason the way God shows His love and His mercy is by sending Jesus, right? So for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This is how He loves us. This is this is this is his grace. Um, and uh, there are basically two religions in the world, right? Um, Francis Pieper uh, sets this forth in his dogmatics and it, very simply, right? Not just for pastors, but for, but, but, but for the people. There are only two religions in the world. When people say, oh, how can I pick all the different religions? Uh, there are only two. Uh, and the, the, the very stark contrast between them. The one is you rely purely on the grace and mercy of God, uh, on his grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone, you rely on him and not at all on your works. The other option is that you can actually rely on your works, whether it's a little bit or a lot of it, right? It amounts to the same thing. You're relying on yourself. And so Luther puts this before us and says, the only way to approach this God is via the forgiveness of sins, via his grace and his mercy. The other way uh, of relying on your own works um, will fail. They will fail you completely. You will not be able to stand before him. You're still going to be down in the pit no matter how hard you try because you don't have wings. You can't fly, right? You're going to be down there um, unless he reaches down, comes down, and lifts you up out of it. Yeah, and I mean, even the way that it's a it's a complete contrast because as he speaks about what does fail, he, he calls it the best and holiest deeds. So even the best things that you do, the things that are are the holiest, the things that you you think as you jump, those wings start to flutter, and maybe you're you're gaining a little bit more hang time. Even those fail to break sin's dread oppression. Even the very best, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah says. And so Luther echoes here. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, your most uh, righteous deeds that may look the best will be totally tarnished by your trust in them. Uh, because you've placed your 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 trust instead of in God in in yourself, and there's nothing that um, is more, I suppose, sinful than pride. It is the mm. ur sin, the, the root sin. Um, it's what made uh, Adam and Eve fall in the first place. Um, is relying on their own works instead of God's works. And so uh, the second we put our pride in our own works, as if they can. Uh, make us right with God, make us stand before God, even if those works were otherwise really, really good, like uh, objectively good um, uh, externally, right? Like loving, loving your wife or um, you know, caring for a sick child. And so, right, these are good things, right? But what we do with good things is we, we, we make them in our heart bad things and idols, but priding, uh, priding ourselves on them. And, and, and acting as if we are good because of those things, rather than that we are made good, uh, declared good by the grace of God, and therefore get to do these things for him, which are still tarnished with sin, and we're not going to bring those before God as if these, these are our merit before him. 
Mm. Yeah, pride, pride has no place, boasting has no place before the Lord, which Luther mentions at the end of this second stanza, but we're going to talk more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Christian Preuss this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, February 14th. We are studying the hymn From Depths of Woe, I Cry to Thee by Martin Luther. It is number 607 in Lutheran Service Book. Our guest is the Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss, who serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at stanza two, in which you were saying that, that pride has no place before God. We can only trust in his love and grace. That is the only thing that avails and allows us to stand before the Lord. At the end of stanza two, Luther confesses this, that before thee, before God, none can boasting stand. The opposite of that, he says, is to fear the Lord's strict demand and live alone by mercy. So talk to us about the the fear and faith that is evident there at the end of stanza two. Yeah, so the fearing his uh, strict demand to live alone by mercy uh, is really listening to the law as it should be listened to. Uh, the law reveals sin. It's what it does. It's the perfect will of God. It requires love from us and uh, if anyone is honest with himself, he knows that he owes that love to his neighbor, to his God. And the, that strict demand of the law then shows us that it, it is, it's our tutor, as St. Paul says, to lead us to Christ, uh, because it shows us that we can't, we can't love as, 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 as uh, God commands us to. And so instead, we have to rely completely on, on mercy. And that's why God again and again and again stresses that we rely not on our works, but on his mercy. Um, and you see this typified, pictured all over in the Old Testament too. It's beautiful, like the, uh, the history of Gideon, right? Where God simply does not allow them to win by the strength of their might. You see this all over because, you know, he, he reduces them to 300, uh, 300 soldiers and, and, and he does it specifically to show them that the Lord is going to give them the victory. And this is all over in the Psalms also, that we don't rely on the strength of a horse or the strength of arms, right, of weapons, uh, but rather we have to rely on the Lord. Um, so we live alone by, by mercy because the only way to live before God 
is in righteousness, is to have the innocence um, that he created us to be, to have. And that is given only uh, by God's mercy through faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. So then in stanza three, Luther makes a conclusion with therefore, we read stanza three of his hymn, therefore my hope is in the Lord and not in mine own merit. It rests upon his faithful word to them of contrite spirit that he is merciful and just. This is my comfort and my trust. His help I wait in patience. There stanza three of the hymn from Depths of Woe, I Cry to Thee. So therefore, because of these things, Luther confesses, and we with him, my hope is in the Lord, not in mine own merit. Talk about this hope that we have in the Lord. So our hope is a sure hope in the Lord because it's grounded um, not on you know some sort of wishful expectation from our own heart, uh, but rather in the promises and, and word of our God. Uh, so hope in the Bible is a sure hope is a sure hope um, and uh, so, so a, a confidence. Um, and it's in the Lord uh, because he's the one who is actually uh, reliable, who does not fail. Uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. Um, our mother and our father could forsake us, but the, the, the Lord will then take us in. He is the only one who is actually stable, consistent, constant. Um, and uh, therefore, he's the only one. And that's why we... Uh, Hebrews calls him our anchor, right? Uh, that uh, he's, the, he's the only one in whom we can trust and he will simply never let us down. Uh, and that goes not just uh, for uh, our works, to the contrary, right? Our, our, our works will let us down. Uh, they'll, they'll fail us. You can, you can um, <clears throat> do the best job um, as an architect and you're still going to have uh, an angle that isn't quite right. right? <laughs> That's just the way it works. We are fallible creatures. Um, but it also uh, applies to the, the, the people in our life, right? We're going to have imperfect moms and dads, imperfect uh, friends, imperfect uh, counselors, imperfect pastors, so forth and so on. Um, and uh, all of them, if they're um, you know, following their vocation, are going to admit exactly that uh, and instead say, rely on the Lord, rely on the Word of God. That is our one stability in this changing world. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be a good good name for a church, Pastor Bryce. Mount Hope. Mount Hope. That's right. Mount Hope. There's your mountain. <laughs> and, There's your and anchor, yeah, and, and the anchor is our is our newsletter. Oh, that's good. So, that's yeah. good. Yeah, fantastic. So my hope is in the Lord, not in mine own merit. And then it, so this hope rests upon his faithful word. And then it says, to them of contrite spirit. So how does this go together? The the hope is resting upon God's word. And it's to those of contrite spirit. Yeah, we, so we've talked about the the word. This is how God communicates his promises to us. He speaks it. Um, and uh, it's uh, the, the word of God does not pass away. It does not change. We are, uh, and the Bible is uh, conservative, right? It does not. It does not change. It conserves. It saves, right? Uh, and so we don't add things uh, to the word of God. Once you start adding things to the word of God, um, or detracting from it, it becomes unstable and untrustworthy. I was uh, driving to work this morning and listening to a uh, biography of Joseph Smith. Um, and uh, hilariously, because I live in Mormon land. I mean, I live on the edge of Mormon land. I think Casper right. is about 20% Mormon. Um, but uh, Joseph Smith uh, 
didn't like creeds, even though he writes his own creeds. Um, and so he's got the doctrine and the covenants um, that, that he writes and everybody, everybody accepts them. Um, but then he's got people within his cult who say that they don't like this because it's a creed. It's too stable. And he says, yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't like creeds either, but this is different from like the Nicene Creed or, or from the Apostles' Creed or from what those like Lutherans do. Um, actually, he said what the Methodists do. Um, because we're going to be able to change these. We're going to be able to change these, right? So, and, and then Joseph did throughout his life. He just changed and changed and changed and changed. So in changing it, it just relies on his own feelings. And he actually said, I don't want a religion where I don't get to believe what I want. <laughs> so um, so there's, there's American religion at its heart right there. So the, it's the opposite with us. The word of God is totally stable. And this is a comfort for us because it's that rock which is not moved and that we, that we can stand upon and it's sure. Uh, and so it's, it's, this is his faithful word, the promise in Jesus Christ that he will forgive us our sins because Jesus has shed his blood for us, the very son of God. And Jesus has died for us. God has died for us. Uh, and this is sure, and, and he's risen again. And therefore, we know we have an intercessor before God. We know we have the forgiveness of sins. That's his faithful word. Um, but this is known only to those of contrite spirit, only to those of contrite spirit. The gospel is a scandal to everybody else. Um, and we... You wouldn't think that this is the main reason that people um, resist the Holy Spirit, resist the Christian, the Christian truth, but it is. So a lot of us, especially pastor types, are more intellectually minded. And so we might think that it's because people are too intellectual that they reject the gospel. They reject this free grace of God in Christ Jesus. And, you know, they just don't believe that it happened, right? They, they don't believe in miracles. They're too smart for that and so forth. Well, that's that's a lot of nonsense. Um, uh, they're very, 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 very smart people who believe in miracles um, and uh, believe in the existence of God because uh, it's, it's kind of obvious. Um, the historical uh, records of uh, Jesus' death and resurrection um, are reliable historical documents. This is not why people uh, resist, uh, most people resist uh, the Holy Spirit, resist the Christian truth. It is because they're offended uh, by the gospel. They're offended by the idea that we are that bad, that we are so sinful that we're actually down in the pit and we can't get ourselves out. We can't rescue ourselves. And instead we have to rely completely on God's mercy. So in order to receive this beautiful teaching, this beautiful truth that God is all for us in Christ Jesus, that, he lays, uh, that, that Christ Jesus lays down his life for us uh, and that it is by grace, his grace alone that we are saved, you need to be of contrite spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit has to have worked in you to show yourself that you cannot save yourself. There is nothing good in yourself that could possibly lay claim before God and say, hey, look at me, I'm worth it, pull me out, right? So that's what contrition, that's what contrition is, is to be crushed down to the ground in that realization that I cannot save myself and, uh, and, 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 and I am... As, as, as Luther would say, not just sinful, right? Or not, I, I not only commit sins, but I am sinful, I am sin. Yeah. yeah, well, and so then to those then who have been broken by the law in that way, the Holy Spirit has brought them to the contrition, they find then that, as the hymn says, he is merciful and just, which is the opposite of way the way our, our sinful natures might think. I, I'm reminded of 
First John chapter one, which is sometimes used in, in certain settings of the divine service, that you know we we think that that we're going to find our way out by trying to hide our sin, or by trying to say, oh, I'm, I didn't do that by not admitting our sin. But all we do there is just to deceive ourselves. It's rather that when we confess our sins, when we are contrite, and we throw ourselves entirely upon the mercy of God without any trying to say, I, save me because I'm worth it, that it is right there where we are entirely helpless, that God actually is merciful and just, and he does what he promises. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. Uh, and First John's a great place to go to that, right? God who is merciful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, and that's when we don't deceive ourselves. Um, you can also go to the parable of uh, the workers in the vineyard where they accuse God uh, of being unjust. Uh, they say, um, hey, we worked all day, and uh, these guys only worked one hour, and you made them equal uh, to us who have borne the heat and burden of the day. Um, and what does God do? Um, he defends his justness um, by appealing to his mercy. He first of all says, hey, didn't you agree to a denarius a day? Right? You get what you, 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 get, you, get what you uh, uh, agreed to, so get out of here. Right? That's the contract of the law. If you, if you think, if you think you're going to earn something with God, um, then you can make that contract, but what you're going to earn is is punishment, right? Mm -hmm. is, is is death because the wages of sin is death. That's the payment for sin. Um, and then God says, um, like, do you begrudge me my generosity? And don't I get to do what I want with what belongs to me? And of course, what belongs to God is uh, everything. Your life, right? Uh, everyone else's life. He created us. We don't belong to ourselves. And more than that, what belongs to God is his love and mercy. What belongs to God are, are the concrete actions of Jesus Christ, right? That he actually gives himself for us uh, on the cross. And so God is just, he's right in doing with what is his own, what he wants, right? And what he wants to do with that is to save us. It's, 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 it's simply beautiful. And that's what St. Paul says, too, in Romans chapter 3, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who believes in Christ Jesus. That's the whole point. God is just and justifier at the same time. And you see his justice. You see how right he is in what he does only in, in the face of Jesus Christ, only in Jesus' death, resurrection, and then his giving that uh, forgiveness and grace to us. In, in the word and the sacraments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then as Luther concludes this hymn, or excuse me, this stanza of this hymn, he says, his help I wait with patience. So we have the theme of patience that comes up in Psalm 130 that now comes up here in Luther's hymn. I'm going to go ahead and take us into stanza four as well before we start talking about this patience, because that patience is evident as stanza four begins. So this is, uh, again, stanza four of our hymn. And though it tarry through the night... Until the morning waken, my heart shall never doubt his might, nor count itself forsaken. O Israel, trust in God your Lord, born of the Spirit and the Word, now wait for his appearing. That is stanza four of the hymn. So we have the, the patience coming up again at the end of stanza three, into the beginning of stanza four, and even there again at the end of, of stanza four. Talk about the role of, of patience within the Christian life. Yeah, so... Patience and waiting for uh, a, uh, a clean conscience, you know, waiting to take the Lord's Supper and, and being assured once again that um, our, our, our sins are forgiven, that God is with us. He's not angry with us. 
Uh, so in, in, in the sense of having a clean conscience, um, there, there is patience waiting to hear God's word. Uh, but there's also, um, there's also patience in waiting for sickness to go away or uh, waiting to be comforted after the loss uh, of a loved one. Um, and it's not just that time heals all things, it's that time well spent heals things, that is time spent hearing uh, the comforting words of God. And it's going to take a while, right, before, uh, I mean, it's not like you don't believe them at first, right? But, you know, mom's gone, and that hurts. Um, and to hear again and again and again, God assuring you, no, mom isn't happy. Mom trusted in Jesus Christ. Um, um, you, you're going to see her again, and you're going to see her uh, not anymore uh, uh, you know, in, in pain and, and, and being a sinner and having this corrupt flesh, but, but glorious in heaven, glorious like her Savior and in the resurrection. Um, and that's why um, we're not just talking about uh, patience um, in waiting to hear the forgiveness of our sins, but also patience in, in, in all the other gifts, like we said before, that deliver us from evil, every evil of body and soul, of possessions and reputation that may come upon us on this life because of our sin, because of other people's sin, simply because of the corruption of our body. Uh, we, we wait for this from the Lord, knowing that in his good time, he will give it because he's already given us, he's already given us um, uh, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I should say also um, that this hymn became a, a very popular hymn at, at funerals. In fact, it was sung at Luther's own funeral. Um, and uh, very, very appropriate there because, uh, because especially of this uh, patience theme, right? What are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for our bodies to rise from the dead, right? To see it with our eyes. Uh, and in the end, um, so this sort of like beatific vision of seeing our Lord Jesus Christ, what we sing about in um, uh, hymn 708, Lord, they love with all my heart, that we see our Savior, his glorious face, right? Yeah. This is in the end what we're waiting for. That's also what St. Paul talks about in Roman, in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, that we're running a race, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're looking toward the goal. Uh, and anyone who's been in a race, I was a cross-country runner. Um, and the last couple of years, I've done uh, eight mile races at 8,000 feet uh, uh, on, on our mountain. And uh, my disrespectful son beat me by like five seconds, even though I was beating him the entire time. But you are waiting the entire time, right, um, uh, for, for that finish line, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's not just pain the entire time, right? You, you can enjoy a run, especially the first four miles. The last four miles, not so much. But it's not just pain the entire time, but there is pain. You need the endurance, um, and it is a great comfort to know that there is a goal, an end, not just an end to suffering and so forth, but a happy goal, right, where you see the smiling face uh, of, those, of those you love, in this case, of uh, uh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I, I love the way that you connect this to the, the resurrection, because I, I think that's there in Psalm 130 and here in the, the hymn with that mention of watchmen waiting for the morning and, and for our own waiting for that morning. It is the morning of the first day of the week when the women find that the tomb is empty, that the Lord is risen indeed. And so we too wait for that morning of the eternal dawn when we rise from the dead. And that then, that strengthens us now to continue in, in this hymn, 
my heart shall never doubt his might nor count itself forsaken. So as, as we wait, because we know that the morning is coming, and that is certain because the Lord has spoken it, that helps us now not to doubt, nor to, to think that we will be forsaken, but rather to trust in the Lord and again, wait for his salvation to come. Yeah. Amen. Um, it's, it's, uh, waiting for his appearing, um, is going to happen in various ways. Um, and like you said about the, the resurrection, um, in the end, that's, 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 that's the grand goal, but we're, we see glimpses of this throughout, uh, the Christian life that we, we, we see is appearing among us. Um, I mean, that's kind of what epiphany means, right? Uh, the season sure. that we just went through is Christ's appearing and he appears, uh, to us in, in, uh, in his word. When Luther comments on, um, Psalm 130, which he based, um, uh, uh, from Deaths of Woe on, um, he actually uh, does it in a small called Articles, so part of our Lutheran Confessions, um, in order to talk about how varied are the graces of God and how many ways he meets our, our patience, our expectation of his help. And he talks about the preached word, right, um, that comes from pastors and from people talking it. Um, he talks about baptism, he talks about the Lord's Supper, he talks about confession and absolution, and then he talks about the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren as we talk amongst ourselves. And so um, as we wait to hear his word, uh, God comes to us in a, in, in a variety of different ways in order to answer us uh, with his word and to uh, assure us of his love and grace. Mm, yeah, yeah. From from his grace, we have, re- or from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. God, God's grace always overflows. We see that in the in the fifth stanza, and even in the fourth stanza, you have one of those mentions of God's grace, uh, born of spirit and the word. So it is it is the baptized who are waiting for his appearing, and who have received that appearing already in holy baptism. I do think it's important that mention of baptism in stanza four in connection with the Israel of God just earlier there, so that that Luther is taking Psalm 130 and applying it to the Israel who is the church. This is this is the Israel of God. It is those faithful who trust in Jesus Christ, both those who waited for his appearing in the Old Testament and now those who wait for his appearing in, in the last day. We are the Israel of God. That is who this hymn is, is for. He makes that connection for us. Let's go ahead, Pastor Preusten, and jump into stanza five. We've got about four minutes left. I want to make sure we, we cover the, the rest of the hymn. Luther writes, Though great our sins, yet greater still is God's abundant favor. His hand of mercy never will abandon us, nor waver. Our shepherd, good and true is he, who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. There's the last stanza of the hymn, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. So again, we have this thought of grace upon grace. God's abundant favor is greater than our sins. Help us into some of the images and themes we encounter in this last stanza. Yeah, uh, the the abundance of God's grace and favor, um, that it is so great, it's like an ocean to our sin. And this is a great comfort, uh, because sometimes uh, we'll sin and we'll think that uh, this is unforgivable, that we're too dirty um, and, and too low uh, for God. And uh, that's, that's contrition, right? Uh, re- realizing our, our, the greatness of our sin, but it simply does not compare to God's love. So the, it doesn't matter how much you magnify your sin, how, how, how great you make it, uh, it can't answer uh, to God's grace. He's, his, 
his, his, his grace is like the ocean to the drop of our sin. Um, once Martin Luther, in a letter to uh, Philip Melanchthon, uh, told, told him, it's when he says sin boldly, and he doesn't mean sin boldly, he doesn't mean just go off and uh, sin, do whatever you want. But his point, his point um, in that, he says, even if we hoard and murdered a thousand times a day, still, um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't compare to the mercy and grace and forgiveness that God, that Jesus' blood has bought for us. And that's how we have to think of it. Not that you should ever even think about uh, whoring and murdering a thousand times a day. Um, that's not the point. The point is to see it as an ocean of God's, of God's love. Also, uh, Luther uh, purposefully, uh, in our English translation, uh, purposely talks about God's favor here. Because that, that's a definition of grace. Uh, this is God's favor. It's the disposition of God. He is smiling down on you. So the Roman Catholics will talk about grace as something God like implants in you. So he gives you a grace so that you can, this gift, right, of love or charity or whatever, so that you can do good works and then you can work your way to heaven, right? So that's the Roman Catholic doctrine of grace. It's something God puts into you so you can do good works. Whereas uh, the biblical doctrine of grace and what Luther stresses here is that it's God's favor. You see God smiling on you, lifting up his countenance upon you, right, and giving you peace. Uh, so God wants to be merciful to you. Uh, he is merciful to you toward, uh, in Jesus Christ. And so um, when, you are, uh, when you sin and you are of, of contrite heart, you look, you look to that favor of God, the favor dei, uh, and it is simply always there, and it's overwhelming. Yeah, um, and, and it, well, and it just uh, it's it's outside of us. So there is that certain hope that we have in the Word, because it's not something that comes from within, but it is God's again favor for me. The, about a minute left here, Pastor Price, help us to wrap things up. Maybe take us into that very last statement, which the Luther brings up the the Lord as our Shepherd who sets us free from sin and sorrow. Yeah, this is just a beautiful wrapping up of uh, the, the whole Bible. Uh, and the whole point of it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's another thing we haven't discussed much here, uh, and, and that is that the Old Testament is about uh, the, the, the coming of Christ, and the people of the Old Testament believed, right? Those who were faithful believed in the coming Christ. They were Christians just like we were. And so he, he wraps this all up here. You've got the image of the good shepherd. That's Jesus in John 10, but that's also uh, what David confesses in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's the same shepherd. This is the Lord Jesus, and the people who believed in him back then, and, and we now are one church. We are one Israel, right? Israel uh, of, the, of the Bible, the true church, is not the Israel like uh, fighting in Gaza right now, right? Um, it is all, all Christians, whether they're the Old Testament or, or the New Testament. And this has always been uh, God's goal. It's, 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 it's why he runs history. Uh, it's, it's, it, for this goal is to keep this Israel to forgive them their sins, to give them peace, and uh, uh, in the end, make them free from all sin and sorrow uh, in, in paradise. The Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. He's been helping us today to study Lutheran service book number 607, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about our conversation today, or if you'd like to let us know what your favorite Lenten hymn is, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.
Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org store.